is searching. We're all searching, looking for fulfillment. He's looking for the reason he was created, looking for eternal life. This guy has everything, but he's still looking for the real thing, the more. And he's so close. He comes to Jesus, and he takes a humble approach. When he finds Jesus, he falls at his feet. If this story was rewritten in 2021, we would probably all know the rich young ruler. He would probably be a social influencer. He would be on YouTube and Instagram and TikTok. We would all see him all the time. The rich young ruler was not only rich, but he was also a really great man. He has it all together, but he knows something is missing. He comes to the place at the right place at the right time, and he asks the right question. Most scholars say he, Jesus, he should have, the rich young ruler should have called Jesus rabbi, but he do, doesn't. He calls him good teacher. It's like in saying that, he's saying you're not the same as every other rabbi. There's something different about you than everyone else. Most young people don't really think about the future too much. Most young people are just thinking about what's happening today. I try and tell my kids about the future, try and get them to help, to help them make decisions based on what's coming in the future, but it's hard for them to see much past today. The rich young ruler was looking past today. He was looking past what would bring him pleasure today, and he was looking into the future. He was wise beyond his years. He was so close he was a good person, but he ends up walking away from Jesus, sad. What happened here? How was he so close? He came to Jesus looking for life, the one who holds life itself, but he walked away sad. The first thing that stands out to me in this portion of Scripture is the rich young ruler wanted to follow a religious formula. How many of you guys like to-do lists? Some people like to-do lists, some people don't. I love to-do lists. I have in my notes folder, in my iPhone, I have to-do lists there all the time. I have to-do lists on my desktop, on my computer. I have to-do lists in a spiral notebook next to my computer. I love having a list at the beginning of the day of everything I'm going to try and get done and being able to cross those things off. A couple years ago, iPhone changed their software and they added a strike-through option in the notes section. This was a good day for me. I could strike through my list. Like, I was excited about this. I used to have to make it bold or underline it after I got it done. Now I can strike it through. This is what it takes to amuse me in my life. I love lists. I love getting things done. But the problem is sometimes we approach Jesus in that same way. We approach Jesus like he's a list. He's an item to be checked off our list to get done. And this is the attitude that the rich young ruler approached Jesus with said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The rich young ruler was looking for 10 steps to salvation. And he probably thought he had already accomplished most of those steps. When Jesus gives him some stuff to do, he says, yeah, I've already done most of that. And Jesus cuts the rich young ruler to the heart with an emphatic, I am not a box to be checked off. And if you will listen closely this morning, you will hear Jesus in your spirit, speaking those same words to you. I am not a box to be checked off. I'm concerned that the American church is far too closely associated 
with the rich young ruler. Probably most of us don't consider ourselves to be rich. And because of that, we kind of shrug off this story like it's a story about someone who is having a hard time inheriting eternal life because of his wealth. But if you look below the surface, if you look more closely, I believe there's a lot here that can speak very clearly to us this morning. The American, the American Christian and the rich young ruler want to turn Christianity from a relationship to a religion. He wanted to turn it into a box to check off to say, I'm all good. After all, he told Jesus, I've already done most of the stuff that you asked me to do. We want to be able to check off a box of going to church and check off the box of giving in the offering, check off the box of being nice to people around us, check off the box of giving in the offering and say, Jesus, we're all good, right? And what we miss is the fact that God is asking us for so much more. He's looking for so much more from us. In my last sermon that I preached, I, uh, I wrote something while I was preparing it, and then I hit the lead a bunch of times and I erased it. It was my first Sunday preaching as a lead pastor, and I figured I don't want to get crucified on my first Sunday as a lead pastor. But it's, it's the second Sunday now, so I figure crucif- crucifixion might, might just be worthy today. I think one of the worst things that's happened to the American church in the last hundred years might be the sinner's prayer, the salvation prayer. You know, the prayer where the preacher stands up and says, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed. I don't think anybody did that with the intention of making it a, a bad thing. I think they thought it was a good thing. And I'm not even necessarily saying we need to get rid of the salvation prayer. But what I am saying is it made Christianity dirt cheap. It made it not cost anything. We made people think all they have to do is pray a 30-second prayer, write their name on a visitor card that's three by five, and they're good to go. They're going to heaven. And I've got to be honest and tell you, I don't think that's true. I think we made Christianity following Jesus way too cheap. According to Wikipedia, there's 205 million Americans that call themselves Christians. That's crazy to me. There's only 328 million Americans, period. So that means two-thirds of Americans say that they're Christians. And I've got to tell you, I don't see it. I don't know about you, but when I look around, I don't see it. And the, th- the reason that is is because you don't get to be a Christian by just saying you're a Christian. You don't just get to say I'm a Christian and now you're a Christian. You become a Christian when you become a follower of Christ. When you make Jesus the Lord of your life, the Lord of all, that is when you become a Christian. I think what America really is, is it's a land full of people who don't want to go to hell, so they say they're a Christian, but in reality, Jesus is not Lord of their life at all. Barna Group is an organization that does research related to churches. And they came out with some research recently, and in that research they said one-third of Christians have left the church during the pandemic and do not plan to return. When I first heard that, I was shocked, and I was like, that's insane and really hard to believe. But then first of all, I found it to be true firsthand in our church, here at Family Life Church, and in other churches in our area that I'm familiar with, is that there's a lot of people who have left the church during the pandemic 
and are not planning to, planning to come back. But second of all, the more I thought about it, and in relationship to what I said earlier about us making Christianity cheap, it really shouldn't be a surprise to us. We take people and we tell them that all they have to do is pray a prayer and fill out a visitor card, and now they're Christians, and their faith is like a centimeter deep. And that the first sign of trouble, the first sign of a bump in the road, the first sign of life not going perfect like we promised them, they bounce, they're out. That's enough, I'm not going to stick around for that. They'll come to church, they'll be a part of church with the resemblance of having a relationship with Christ, but then as soon as trouble hits, they're out. One of the scariest verses in the Bible to me is in Matthew chapter 7. I can remember I was probably 14 or 15 years old when I heard George Veach stand right here with a big pulpit that used to be there and preach on this same portion of Scripture. It's Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many, everyone say many. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. If this isn't a sobering scripture, I don't know what is. It's terrifying to me. So we have a bunch of people here who call Jesus Lord, a bunch of people who uh, prophesy, cast out demons, and do miracles. If we see someone who calls Jesus Lord, they're prophesying, they're casting out demons, and doing miracles, we would definitely consider these people Christians, right? 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 We would all consider these people Christians. But Jesus says, many who do that. And that's kind of setting the bar high. That's not even saying that a Christian is someone who just says they're a Christian or someone who shows up at church. We're talking prophesying, casting out demons, doing miracles. Like this is this setting the bar pretty high. Many on that day, Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. I don't know how to define many exactly. It's kind of an obscure word. I don't know how to quantify it. It's not very specific. I don't know what many is. Is many half? Is many a third? I don't really know. All I know is I don't want to be a part of that many. You know, let me bring this a little closer to home for you. According to this scripture, there's probably people in this room who call Jesus Lord, who do stuff for him, But on judgment day, Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. That's scary to me. Do I want a third of Christians that, a third of, let me make it more specific, a third of people who are part of Family Life Church to come back to church? Yeah, I definitely do. Do I want the third of Christians who left the church on a broader scale to come back? Yeah, I do. But I don't want those people to come back to check a religious box off their list and to feel better about themselves. I want them to come back out of a passionate desire to know Jesus. I want them to come back out of a desire to know Jesus on a deeper level, to grow in their faith. And I want you to be here out of a desire to know Jesus on a deeper level and to grow in your faith.
The church board has been uh, reading a book for the last year and a half or so together by a pastor in New York City. His name is Timothy Keller. When we started reading that book, there was a lot of stuff in that book that I really liked, and so I followed him on Twitter. And he recently sent this tweet. It says, Both secularism and devout faith are growing. What is going away is the mushy middle of everyday religiosity. Is that true or what? If you look around America today, both secularism and devout faith are growing. What is going away is the mushy middle of everyday religiosity. This is what happened to the rich young ruler, and it is what is happening to the church today. How many of you have prayed for God to move? How many? How many of you have prayed for God to shake the church and wake up his church? It's happening right now. God is on the move. He is shaking his church. He is waking up his church. It doesn't look like the last time he moved. If you're looking for it to look like it did in the mid-90s, you can forget about it. You're going to miss the move of God. It'll go right by you and you won't even know it happened. But if you can see what God is doing in the earth today, he is moving and waking up his church. I said earlier that we have set the bar so low for Christianity. We have greased the skids so much to try and allow people to come be a part of the church, to make room for people to become Christians, that we've set the bar so low, we've watered down what it means to be a Christian so far, it almost means nothing. It hardly means anything anymore. The fastest growing church in the world is in China right now, in communist China, where it's illegal to be a Christian. You get caught with the Bible, you're going to get arrested and you're going to go to jail. But it's the fastest growing church in the world. It's the most thriving church. It's thriving much more than the church in America. I wonder if part of that is because we've made church, we've made being a Christian so easy that it doesn't even hardly mean anything anymore. It's not valuable to us. We don't consider it a privilege. We don't consider it even important in our life. But the Chinese Christian is ready to lay down their life for Christ. I have a friend who um, went to a missions conference in Michigan a while ago. And this, this conference was held at a church. And the pastor of that church handed the church off to another, his best friend actually, to pastor the church. And he left and he went to China as a missionary. And that guy who used to pastor this church but now is a missionary in China, he came back and he was the main speaker at this conference. And uh, he told a story at this conference. He said he, um, he knew what it was. It was, a, it was a church in Michigan. It was a, a very similar area to western New York. They get a lot of snow there. And um, he told a story about when he was in China. There was a guy who he met who had left a small village where he was from and gone to university to try and get a degree so he could get a better job to try and provide for his family. Well, he was in his last year at university, and someone told him about Jesus. He met Jesus. He gave his life to Jesus while he was at university. Then he went back to the, the town where he was from, and he had a job lined up there. So he went back there, and he got a job. He had a wife, and he had two kids. His oldest son was six, and his daughter was three. So we talked to this guy, this missionary, who led him to the Lord. and He said, can you help me find a church? Can you help me find some place where I can worship with other believers, where a pastor can teach me the word of God? And he said, yes, I will definitely try and help you find that. But even though the church is thriving in China, it's kind of hard to find pastors. 
it's kind of hard to find the church because it happens in secret. Because if you're caught, you can oftentimes be arrested. So this missionary did some investigation. He talked to some people who he knew. The man was from a different region. Eventually, he found a man who was a pastor in that area. And so he, he, went, and he f- went to the guy's village, and he said, I'll hook you up with this pastor, and you can go to church with him. He said, okay. So he told him where the church was, and he told him what date and what time to go to this church. So the man, the church was going to meet on Sunday morning. So the man put his, told his wife to put the kids to bed at 10 o'clock in the morning on Saturday. So they put the kids to bed at 10 o'clock, tried to make them sleep all day. It was really hard, as you could imagine, to make the kids sleep all day. The reason they did that was because they had to travel to this church under the cover of darkness. The church was on the other side of a mountain range. So the man lets his kids sleep during the day. Then they wake up their kids as soon as it gets dark. He puts his six-year-old in a backpack. They bundle everyone up. He said it was in the middle of January. It was about 15 degrees, which is about how cold it was last night. Bundles up his kids, bundles up his wife, puts his son in his back, in a backpack on his back, puts his daughter in a backpack on his wife's back, and they set out to track over this mountain range in the hopes of finding a pastor in the next town over on the other side of this mountain range that he can worship with that will teach him the Bible. They traveled all night long. It was brutally cold. They were freezing all night long. They finally make it at daybreak. They're coming down the other side of the mountain. They're a little bit late getting to the place where this house was, where they were meeting, but they made it there finally. He goes, he stands outside the front door, he knocks on the door, nobody answers. He knocks again, nobody answers. He tells his wife, you stay here, I'm going to go around the back of the house, see if I can find a place to get in. He finds a window that's not locked, and he opens the window, and he whispers in the window, Jesus is Lord. He whispers in the window again, Jesus is Lord. He does it over and over for an hour until somebody comes to the window, opens the window, and pulls him inside the window and starts asking him questions about his faith. It was the pastor. He was questioning him because he thought for sure they had been busted and they were going to get arrested. Then he brought his wife inside finally and their kids. They've traveled all night long to get there. They come in. The pastor teaches them a worship song and they whisper, sing, a worship song together. There's no motion backgrounds on a screen. There's no worship team that's been practicing all week for Sunday morning. It's just these people. There's no instruments. They're just doing their best to sing together and worship God. And they did it with tears running down their face. And then the man said, will you teach us from the Bible? And he said, sure. And he says, do you have a Bible? And the pastor says, no, it was taken from me the last time I was arrested. He said, but when I was arrested, a friend smuggled the Bible into me and two to me and two other pastors, and we memorized the book of Acts. So we started preaching and teaching them from the book of Acts. The missionary joked that every single time this pastor preached, no matter what time of year it was, no matter what it was, he was preaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter if you got baptized in the Holy Spirit last week, you're getting baptized in the Holy Spirit again this week because that's the portions of Scripture that he had memorized. These people paid a price for their faith. It wasn't just something like, yeah, maybe we'll go to church, maybe we won't. I mean, if the Bills game starts at 1, then probably we're not going to make it because we've got a tailgate. But since it's at 6, since it doesn't start till 6, like, I guess there's time to sneak in church and then we can get our pregame on. These people paid a price for their faith. The missionary met with this guy, again, the man who he had led to Christ. He had been making that trek every Saturday for two years. 
He would travel all night long to get to church the next day. He would stay there with those few believers during the day. Then he'd make the trek all night long, skip two nights of sleep, and then go to work the next morning. And he found great joy in doing it. He said he, he was from Michigan. I said an area like here where they get some snow. And he said the missionary told this man, sometimes in my church, people open their phone and they look at the weather app. And if they see a snowflake on the weather app, they say, yeah, we're probably not going to make it to church today. You know, it's probably not maybe safe for our family to go. And they stay home. The man couldn't believe his ears. He wept and he said, I'll pray for your church. I'll pray for America. I hope that America will meet the Jesus that I met because then they won't care if there's a snowflake on the weather app. And I pray for our church too. I pray for the American church. I pray that we will meet the same Jesus that this man met because then our faith will mean something. You know, I'm afraid of what's coming next for the church. Not so much because I'm worried about all the nonsense going in the world. I'm, I'm really not too worried about that. I'm more worried about us than I am about that. I'm worried about how weak our faith is. Right now, we're like, ah, I don't know if I'm going to go to church when it's snowing out. I'll go to work because that's important, or I'll go do something else that I want to do because that's important. But if it's snowing, I'm probably just going to stay home. I'm just going to call it a day. What's next? Is it going to be too warm for you in July? Seriously. That's what's coming next. I'm, I mean, I know I have air conditioning in my car, and I know there's air conditioning in the church, but I've got to walk like 40 yards from my car. I mean, my husband will drop me off at the front door, so it's only probably 40 yards to walk in, but it might get hot during that time, and I don't know if I'm up for that, so maybe, maybe we'll just stay home today because it's what's best for our family. Maybe we should get rid of the air conditioners. I'm tempted to rip those off the wall. I'm serious. Maybe then, when we came and we would sweat through church, maybe our faith would actually mean something to us. We got a $17,000 boiler two years ago. I wish we wouldn't have gotten it. I wish we would freeze in here. I wish when you would sing, you could see your breath. Maybe then, your faith would mean something to you and to me. Maybe I should prepare my sermon out in the cold, and it would actually mean something to me then. I will move on so I don't get crucified on the second Sunday. I can't help but ask why the rich young ruler came to Jesus. Most young people aren't thinking about the future. Most young people are thinking about today, what's comfortable now. But the rich young ruler still came to Jesus. I believe the rich young ruler came to Jesus because he knew there was something more. He knew there was something more, but he was afraid. I think sometimes we find ourselves in that same place. We want something more, but we're afraid. Jesus was push, pushing the rich young ruler to go deeper. And Jesus is pushing the church in America and here in Warsaw to go deeper. Have you ever wanted something in your life, but you were afraid? It was my junior year in high school, and it was near the end of the year, in fact, it was the last week of school. We're almost to summer break. And that year, it was like incredibly hot. It felt like it was like mid-July, but it wasn't. It was just the beginning of June. School didn't have air conditioning. It was just brutal. And it was that last few days of school where it's like you've taken all of your finals, you've handed in all your final projects, but the state says you have to get a certain number of days in. So we're still going to school, but we've got nothing to do. And I knew myself well enough to know that if I go to school and I have nothing to do, 
I will find something to do and it won't be good. I am about to get in trouble over the next couple days and it's, it's not going to be good for anybody. And if I know my friends at all, my friends are going to get in trouble. I'm going to sign out to go to the bathroom. They're going to sign out to go to the bathroom. We're going to meet up and see what kind of trouble we can get in. It, it's just going to happen. But I was also very wise in those days and I didn't want, I didn't want that to happen. So we sat in my car after school with my best friend and I said, I, I think it would be the prudent thing for us to do to skip school. I mean, I don't want to make any teacher's day hell, and I don't, I don't want to make my principal mad. I, I, it seems like it's the right thing to do to skip school. So we went, and we drove around to all of our friends' houses, and we said, hey, we're skipping school tomorrow. I said, all right, sounds good. So I had another friend who had gone on a vacation with his family, and they had just gone just over the border from New York to Pennsylvania, and he told us there was a place where you could go cliff jumping. So we're not going to school. It's like 90 degrees, and I'm like, all right, cliff jumping seems like the best option for us. So... So off we go to Pennsylvania. We find this place where you pull off and you park. He said he had to hike like two miles down this trail. So we go hiking down this trail. He says, okay, right up around this corner is, is, is the cliff. I'm like, okay, great. So we come around the corner, and I look, and the cliff is this tall. And I'm going like, I could have just had someone stand on my shoulders and jump in the pool, and it would have been higher than that cliff. He's like, no, 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 keep going, keep going. Okay. So we go around the corner, and all of a sudden I'm looking at these cliffs going, Whoa. Like we went six foot, 15 foot, 20 foot, 25 foot, 30 foot, 40 foot. And I'm looking at that top cliff going like, man, I felt really good about this, but I don't know anymore. Like this looks a little sketchy to me. So I'm like, at least I want to know how deep the water is, right? So I go swimming down there and I try and swim down as far as I possibly can. And I can't find the bottom anywhere. So I'm like, okay, I feel a little better about it. So then I dive off the six foot cliff and dive down as far as I can go. No bottom in sight. Okay, I feel a little better about this. So we all get in a line, all 10 of us. We all get in a line to climb up to this first cliff. We go jumping off the six-foot cliff. That's fun, right? Each cliff we go up progressively, less and less people are jumping off. More and more people are like, that was fun, but I'm going to call it quits. Like, I'm not doing that anymore. I had one friend who jumped off the first cliff, and then he, would, he wouldn't jump off anymore. So we get to the last cliff, and it's me and my two friends climbing up this cliff. And I'm, I got to tell you, like from the ground, it looked far. But when we're getting up there, it looks a lot farther. So now we're like up near the top, and this is like a little path like for a mountain goat. And here we are, you know, doing one of these to get up there, holding onto the wall, terrified. We get up to the top. We get to the landing area where I'm about to jump off, and I'm looking, and I look at my friends, and I'm like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. Like this looked good from the ground, but I don't know. But there's no way down. Like there's no way we can back down this hill, and I can't get around my friends so I'm like, all right, I might as well get it over with. And so I just jump. And it hurt when I hit the water. It hurt a lot. But then everyone got up their courage and everyone started jumping. Fast forward, say, 15, 17 years, something like that. It's the 4th of July here in Warsaw. We're headed over to the Russell's house to watch the fireworks. And I'm walking over there with my family and I hear someone calling me, John, John, Lonnie. I turn around and look and it's one of my friends. I haven't seen this guy in probably 15 or 17 years, something like that. He calls me over, we go over, we start talking, and he has a family now, I have a family, our lives have changed a lot. He brings this up, he says, hey, you remember that day we went and jumped off those cliffs? And I, I, hadn't, I didn't remember, I was like, oh yeah, I had forgotten. He said, man, it's always bothered me. I said, why? He's like, I jumped off that first cliff, but I didn't jump off any of the rest. He's like, I don't know what was so scary to me, I don't know why I was so afraid. 
So let's go find those cliffs right now. But we didn't because we have families now and he didn't have life insurance and stuff. So we, we didn't go do it. But it had always bothered him. It has always eaten him up that he didn't have what it took to jump off that cliff. That's kind of what happened for the rich young ruler. He wanted something more. He wanted to experience true freedom in Christ. He wanted to go all in, but he was afraid. What is really following Jesus going to cost me? What is Jesus going to ask me to give up? What will my life look like if I completely say yes to him? I think most of us are like the rich young ruler. We want to say yes to Jesus, but we're afraid of giving up our stuff. What are you holding on to? What are the things that you're afraid to give up? Here you are at the right place, at the right time in history. Jesus is standing in front of you, asking you to give something up in order to go deeper into relationship with him. I'm not saying this figuratively. Jesus is in front of you right now. Picture him in front of you right now because he's there. And he's asking you to give something up. He's asking you to let go of something today in order to go deeper into relationship with him. Are you going to let go of those things that he's asking you to let go of? Or like the rich young ruler, will you walk away sad? The thing is, it's hard to follow Jesus when you're carrying so much baggage. This same story of the rich young ruler is told in the book of Matthew in chapter 19. And in the Message Bible, it worded it this way, and I really liked it. He was holding on tight to a lot of things, and he couldn't bear to let go. He was holding on tight to a lot of things, and he couldn't bear to let go. That sounds a lot like the American Christian to me. We're holding on tight to a lot of things, and we're not willing to let go. Shoot, when it comes to physical stuff, like we can't even contain all of our stuff in our houses. We have to build garages, which you're supposed to put your car in, but nobody does because it's filled with your stuff. We have sheds, we have pole barns, we build additions on our homes to hold all of our stuff. There's an entire billion dollar, multi-billion dollar industry in storage facilities to hold your nonsense, the stuff that you're not willing to let go of. But there's also things that are a lot bigger than just our physical stuff. There's emotional stuff. Some of us are carrying emotional baggage, emotional pain, fear, worry, anxieties, burdens. There's a song we sing sometimes called He Loves Us. One of my favorite lines in that song is I don't have time to maintain these regrets. You can either set regrets at Jesus' feet, receive his forgiveness and move on, or you can maintain those regrets. You can continue to keep those things in front of your eyes all the time and decide that you're not worthy of saying yes to Jesus. How many of you have ever seen that stereotypical high school football player who's sitting at the bar on a Friday night still rehashing that game from 30 years ago? The fumbled ball, the ball that wasn't caught, the tackle that was missed, 
And if these small things just would have changed, he would have won the game, he would have gotten the scholarship. Shoot, he'd be in, he'd be in the Super Bowl next week. But he can't. He can't move on with his life. He is maintaining these regrets and it's stopping him from moving forward. Some of you are maintaining regrets and it is stopping you from moving forward into what Jesus has for you today. He has abundant life for you. But you have to set aside the regrets. I shared a tweet with you earlier from Timothy Keller. It said, Both secularism and devout faith are growing. What's going away is the mushy middle of everyday religiosity. There's a line being drawn in the sand for you this morning. Just like that line that Jesus drew in the sand for the rich young ruler. The story of the rich young ruler isn't actually about money. The story of the rich young ruler is about Jesus cutting a man to the heart. It's a story about a young man who walked away from Jesus sad because he allowed something else to be the Lord of his life. That scripture that I read from you in Matthew said, many will say to Jesus on that day, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons, do miracles? Did we not do all these things? We believed in you. Weren't we Christians? Didn't we have a relationship with you? And Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. The rich young ruler went to hell because he had an idol in his life. Unless something changed after that day, and maybe it did, I don't know. But if nothing changed, the rich young ruler was a really great man. We would call him an amazing man. He'd be an amazing man that went to hell because he had an idol in his life. What is the idol in your life? Do you have an idol in your life? Many people think they have a relationship with Jesus according to Matthew chapter 7 and they're going to go to hell. I don't want to have an idol in my life. Maybe it would be a worthy question to ask Jesus this morning if you've developed an idol in your life. Maybe in 2020, you made an idol in your life. Maybe you're part of the third of Christians who left church and today you just happen to be listening in to check off your religious box. Maybe you made an idol of yourself in 2020. Maybe you haven't even physically left the church, but you can feel a coldness in your heart. There used to be a softness in your heart towards Jesus and it just is not that way anymore. Maybe you made an idol of your comfort or your time or sleep, or your job, or success, or money, or your family, or your spouse, or your ideals, or Donald Trump, or Joe Biden, or your kids, or anything else at all. Jesus says you can't put anything before him. Because if you do, like the rich young ruler, it might cost you eternity. Jesus is drawing a line in the sand this morning. The day of going through the motions are done. Jesus is looking for a bride that's fully committed to him. Not one that's lackadaisically going through the motions and not really caring. Jesus is cutting you to the heart this morning like he did the rich young ruler. The question that I want to end by asking you is will you kill your idol? And embr or embr embrace Jesus.
Will you kill your idol and embrace Jesus or walk away sad? Would you bow your heads this morning? I just want to give you a couple minutes with the Lord. Maybe this wasn't the most uh, encouraging or uplifting message, and that's good because it wasn't meant to be, and that's okay. Probably the next one will be, but I just want to give you some time with the Lord to ask him if you've made an idol in your life. Is there anything in your life that you've made more important than him? Have you embraced a Christianity that's so watered down and weak that it really doesn't even mean a whole lot to you? Lord, I ask you to wake up your church. Lord, don't just leave us to ourselves. Don't just leave us to our insignificant nonsense that we fill our life with. Lord, would you call us out? Would you call us higher? Lord, I ask that each person who hears my voice would step into a deeper relationship with you today. Lord, I ask you to point out in our lives the places where we have idols. Like David said, would you search our hearts and see if there's any wicked way in us and lead us out, God. Lead us in the way of everlasting. Lord, speak to your people. Lord, don't let us go through the motions. Lord, forgive us for making you a box to check off our list. How disgusting. Lord, I ask you to continue to speak to each one this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. Um, the ushers are going to come.